Hello and welcome to The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. Today, I got the chance to talk to Jill Applebaum, creative strategist at Facebook. That's right, Facebook. It's not an ad agency, but it's sort of like one. And she is one of the best in the business uh, in advertising and out of it. She talks about uh, the trials and tribulations of becoming a copywriter, especially when you don't have a book to show for yourself when you get out of college, surrounding yourself with good people who know what they're doing. And we talk a little bit about uh, the state of women in the industry, as she is the first uh, woman that we've had on the podcast. I've been trying, though. I've been trying, so don't send me letters. But first, a little bit about our sponsor. The A-List is brought to you by Ad House Advertising School, advertising age called Ad House, New York's newest, smallest, and arguably hippest ad school. Their philosophy, an ad class is only as relevant as the professional who teaches it. Ad House classes are taught by the best in the biz in the agencies where they work. You get 10 weeks of classes for just 600 bucks. To apply, go to adhousenyc.com, and for the latest news, follow AdHouseNYC on Facebook. And now, my interview with Jill Applebaum. Hello? Hey, Jill. Hi. Can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. It's good, I think. Are we good out there? All right. This is our first uh, interview via iPhone. Oh, boy. So uh, we will uh, we'll give a little plug to Apple there. Maybe they'll send me a seven. <laughs> or an eight. I don't even know what it is anymore. Hey. I think seven. It's Jill Applebaum, everybody. There's no audience. I was going to say, that's such a depressing uh, welcome. But, uh, <laughs> but I remembered it's just you and me. It's just you and me. People are clapping somewhere, but just intermittently and in the future. Um, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. We haven't we haven't actually met, uh, I don't think, have we? No, but I feel like we're, we're kind of related just by knowing so many of the same people. Yeah, and I worked with uh, Megan Sheehan uh, at uh, Anomaly for a little while. Uh, we both freelanced there. So yeah, and you, awesome. you worked with her for a while. Um, so yeah, so uh, this is our, our little podcast where we we talk to people and uh, ask them how they got into the business. Um, so that's basically where where we're gonna where we're gonna go with this. Um, so so Jill Applebaum, you're at you're at Facebook right now. Or should, can yep. we talk about that? We're just you're at Facebook, uh, and uh, where so where? But where did you start? What, what was the we, – we're from the same sort of uh, time in the world, um, so it's interesting to me. Where, well, where did you come from? Where did you grow up? Well, back where – when dinosaurs roamed the earth, mm-hmm. I took my pterodactyl um, to an agency that's no longer around called DMB&B, Darcy, Ma- Dar- Darcy Macy, Ben and Bowles. Yes. So that was my very first agency, and I started there as a group administrative assistant. Wow, but what what about before that? Let's go back even further. Where did you Where did you grow up? Where were you born? Oh, uh, I grew up in New Jersey, Parsippany, New Jersey. Parsippany. Yeah, yeah, Are you I a know. Jersey well. boy. Yeah, I am a Jersey boy. I'm from Union, New oh, Jersey. Wow. Yeah, um, that's what people say when they hear Union. They go, "Oh, wow, wow." <laughs> so lucky. Um, and what did you What did you want to be? When you when you grew up in New Jersey, how'd you know how'd you know about this advertising thing, or was it just like ah, I just want to do stuff? 
I knew I liked to write, and I knew I wanted to find a field that would enable some creativity. Um, when I went to college, I went to the University of Maryland, which is about as liberal arts as a school can get. Yeah. I remember thinking that I wanted to major in literature or English, and I remember my my dad. I mean, we, we didn't grow up with a ton of money, but my parents were paying for college, so I remember my father saying to me, "You're not majoring in." English. What's what's an English? Like, pick something with an ER at the end of it, or an IST, something that's like got a career potential to yeah. it. Yeah. So I ended up going into the journalism school because that's the thing. Right. Um, and then under that, you get to pick a concentration, and that's where I found advertising. It was a very top line. You know, I I had this this uh, I forget what they call it, concentration in advertising, but it was. A couple of creative classes, a planning class, more of a business side class. Yeah. Um, and then I finished school thinking, okay, I'm ready to go get a job in a creative department. And of course, the you know first interview, they say, so where's your book? You know, and I was like, my what? Oh my god. <laughs> so you didn't know anything about the book part? They didn't teach no. you that at, at Maryland. No, I mean we had sketched a few things in yeah. one of the creative classes, but I had no idea what a portfolio was or that I was going to need one. And I felt, yeah. you know, kind of frustrated that I wasn't prepared to go into the field of my choice, as, even as an entry level position. But um, I needed to put a book together. So. And you were still living in Parsippany at that point. Yeah, I was living with my parents because yeah. uh, I didn't have a job. Yeah, I remember those days, 1992. <laughs> Yes. Bush in the White House. We had a uh, we had a little uh, uh, slowdown in the economy, and I couldn't get a job either. I I, yes. I finally got a job at Ogilvy and Mather Direct. Um, uh, where, where did you say? Ogilvy and Mather Direct. Oh, direct. Yeah. Which is now called Ogilvy One, I think. But uh, yeah, I didn't want to go in. I didn't want to go there. <laughs> I'm did glad I did in the end. A, did you start in a creative role? I did. I I had a junior copywriter role. I was lucky. Um, but all my other friends were at like, you know, Goldsmith Jeffrey and Deutsch and like really cool play Kirschenbaum. And, you know, those were the, those were the cool places, but I got a job at Ogilvy and made the direct. Um, where, so how did you, what did you do from there? You, you, you went, where did you go? Where did you want to work? Where did you, where did they tell you you have to have a book? And what was that like? Yeah, I don't really remember my very first interview or which company it was. Um, it might've been gray. Because I, I met this, um, you know, I, I believe that I had a foot in the door somehow with the recruiter in-house at Gray. Gray was not, you know, it was not what it became in the tour era at all. It wasn't right. even a great, it wasn't even a great creative agency, but... It lived was, up to its name back then. Absolutely did. But I, I went in and they said, well, where's your book? And then I didn't have a book. And then it was very embarrassing. And there was an open role for an administrative assistant um paying sixteen thousand dollars a year yeah and uh they made me the offer but they made me promise that i wouldn't talk about wanting to become a junior copywriter for at least two years <laughs> and that felt like a very long time to me so i didn't think i could with a straight face promise that i would wait that long before feeling frustrated i guess that's interesting did you do you think in retrospect that you should have just taken the job and and did it anyway? Well, no, because I I ended up interviewing um, at EMBNB for a, an admin role. Okay. And and they um, well, first of all, it was paying nineteen thousand dollars a year. So I had 
Yeah, I know. I know. And 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 it was for it was for um well the it was Terry Meyer and Sandy Greenberg who oh. own the Terry Sandy Solutions. Yeah, I love them. Yeah, they're so awesome. They're, so, they're awesome, and they um, they didn't, you know, they they needed an admin, and they were clear that you're coming here to be our admin. But they were like, Verity, it's a good place to train to be a junior copywriter, and we'll kind of see how it goes. So it just felt more open and possible. Yeah, and they did it. I mean, I. I started as their admin. I was their admin for, I'd say it was probably a good year and a half. But in there, I was being thrown a few briefs. And the team that they had working for them were so wonderful. And they had, you know, we were all friends. And they'd invite me in for brainstorms. And then they would push me to present to the CCO, even though I didn't even feel like the biggest contribution was mine. There were no egos. It was just the greatest group of people that wanted me to end up succeeding. Oh, wow. You're so lucky. I know, I, I know. And who, then, um, who was the CCO? Yeah. At the time, it was a guy named Richard Levinson. Uh huh. And then after that, it was Ross Sutherland. Oh right, Ross Sutherland. I think he was at Ogilvy when I was there. He must have gone over to uh, to DDB, DMBNB, then. Yeah, yeah. And um, then, uh, I ended up working for him again at Ogilvy and then YNR. Oh okay. So you, you, you went back to there, but what, um, so that first, those first, so you would just go in and join in their brainstorms and, and then what was that, what was that like at first? Was it, was it hard to sort of speak up and. I think, um, yeah, so the brainstorms were with more of the mid-level creatives. It wasn't with the, you know, the Terry and Sandy who were running the group. Right. Um, I I made sure that I was going to be the best you know, admin slash personal assistant that those two could ever want because I I wanted them to help me and, and give me projects that were stretching me outside of that role. And, and um, you know, ultimately I was hoping for a promotion into a junior copywriter position. But yeah, the group, they were just so nice. And, in fact, oh, this is another thing. Um, the prior, their prior admin was a junior writer, so he was promoted into the role, and then they were looking for his replacement, and I thought that was really an encouraging uh, situation that, you know, happened for the guy that had this job before me. Yeah. It's, I think it's a great way to start in the business um, as a, you know, admin, getting coffee for people. You know, a lot of, I think a lot of people these days don't want to do that because it feels... I don't know, degrading or, or like, you're like, Oh, I have this degree. I can do this now, but I think it's a great way to just hang out and just relax and, and be like, not asked to, you know, be a, a superstar right away. You just get to watch these other people, uh, become super. Do you remember anybody who was in the group? Are they, are they people now? Are they doing things? Are they stars? Uh, yeah. Well, Gerald Cuesta was the admin before me and he moved to LA. He's a bonafide film writer now. Wow. And- and uh, Amy Amy Haddad was um, my mentor, and she um, she won a ton of awards at Burnett, and then she took a bunch of years off to raise her family, and now I think she's at a smaller place in Cleveland. And I know then, that um, name, Amy Haddad. I remember seeing that in the in the award annuals and stuff. Yeah, she's she's fantastic. And then her partner was a guy named John Nicolaitis, who um, was at Burnett also, but he now owns a um, he owns a cupcake shop called Molly's Bakery in a bunch of cities. So he's, I think, not really doing advertising anymore. <laughs> he's kind of funny. 
That's awesome. So those um, are the three main people that I, I um, you know, shadowed, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you pick your mentor? Was she handed to you or was it like kind of like a, you know, hey, you're my mentor now? Um, it wasn't any kind of official um, <laughs> thing. It, we just became very, very good friends. And she was, I think she, that group of people, but her, and she, Amy in particular, taught me that you, you get more when you are free, you know, when you're generous, when you give credit and when you share opportunities and when you don't hog the limelight for yourself, that you create um, a, a kind of like a, just a, a positivity that will pay you back more than what you do see sometimes in our industry, which is a little bit more cutthroat and land grabby. So I feel like I was raised, and it was, you know, the next few people that I worked for and with after that group, too, to just sort of believe, just have a, you know, an integrity about who contributed what and letting young people have opportunities. You don't have to be like the creative director that hogs the best brief. You can give away the best brief and just take some of the garbage off of people's plates to clear up the people that you want to see succeed. Wow. That, that's do you think you you're lucky that way or did you pick the the right people did you just when you when you went into interview for your next job and your next job were you looking for those kind of people or were you just looking at the agency and and what they had and and what you'd be working on how did how did you pick where to go next i i always tend to follow the the people the people it's about you know who's at the helm what is the culture like who are the, I mean, I'm going to have to sit around and ideate and present to people, and is that going to feel good? And I, I just was enormously lucky my whole career to be, you know, just, just enough air cover so that I feel comfortable and blind faith and just um, a, a generosity. I really have had managers take the terrible, um, let's say, TV assignment that's going to go through 20 million rounds of hard testing and, you know, probably never come out alive and they've taken that for themselves so that my partner and I could work on the like MTV brief and I right. I was so young at that time that I, I thought that's how it's always going to be but of course it's not and um, you know I try to I try to remember I try to treat people who work for me in that exact same way and I try to find people to surround myself with that have that same mentality of you know collaboration and generosity but you know, you're not always, it's not a perfect world and it, it wasn't always the case. Yeah. So, so you went from, from, uh, DMBNB and then you went to Ogilvy, uh, after say four years at DMBNB. What, yes. what, 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 what made you make the move? What was it? Were you just ready? Were you, uh... Yeah, I think that the agency was not doing very well and right. it wasn't, you know, and my group had moved on. Terry and Sandy moved to JWT, and everybody ah. had, it's just kind of, uh, they also, um, they had us in something called a junior pool, which was like a bullpen. Okay. And it was just a little bit, you know, they, groups were allowed to tap into the junior pool if they wanted some supplemental help, but half the time they would see something great from one of their teams and forget that they even briefed us. And we <laughs> would say, when is this due? And they'd go, oh, that choir meeting happened four days ago. Oh. It was like a lot of, yeah, I love the people that I, that was in the foxhole were tight to this day, but the place, it just didn't feel like I was going to really get anywhere. Yeah. That was, um, uh, that must have been frustrating. Yeah. So you went to Ogilvy and Mather. 
and uh, where, yeah. you, where you worked on Jaguar, and was that your first TV shoot? Um, the big Jaguar thing that I shot actually was at YNR. Oh, I'm sorry. I messed up my research. Okay. I do all my own You're research, fine. people. You need a staff. It's just me. <laughs> it's just me. Um, so you, but you, oh, so you worked on Jaguar two places. Okay. Yeah, um, I did. Well, and that was Ross Sutherland, too. And that was with Ross Sutherland. Yeah. Uh, and you followed him for a while. Um, yes. He, well, we kind of just ended up in his group at Ogilvy. Didn't really know him that well because when he was the CCO of DMBMB, we were too junior to really, you know, interface with a CCO. And like I said, nobody remembered. They briefed us, so we rarely, uh, <laughs> we rarely saw anybody. But yeah. um, he did bring my partner and I to YNR. Oh, that's cool. And that was Brand Buzz? Well, it was YNR for four, for four years and then Brand Buzz for another and then, four years. And then you switched to Brand Buzz. Was, what was the difference between YNR and YNR Brand Buzz? I, I knew uh, uh, John Partilla, who worked on, at Brand Buzz, I think. Was he there with you? No, time? I joined after he left and okay. the guys was the CEO. Okay. Um, and um, Brand Buzz was just doing more innovative, small, uh, but back before the whole entire industry started talking about integrated, they really did, did have specialists from, so they would, I guess what happened was it, its infancy was, um, or its origin was Y&R would have, let's say, a big Sony account. So Y&R was mostly TV, print, radio. Mm-hmm. But what if what if a, pro- a promotion needed to be run? You know, what if an event was going to be thrown? There was all this what, what used to be called other. Right. Bre- Below the brand. line. Exactly. <laughs> and Brand Buzz was built to service all of the Y&R below the line client needs. Um, but then there were small pieces of business that we either pitched our, for ourselves or Y&R just couldn't be bothered with that the size of that pot, if you will. Yeah. And, um, but then over time, you know, even the big agencies kind of need those smaller pots. And it didn't, when all the agencies started to talk integrated, 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 the brand buzz model wasn't as right. necessary to be its own standalone unit anymore. So it folded back in. That keeps happening in the business, doesn't it? And, and we've seen it a few times. Um, and and I feel like it, it's just going to keep happening where people are like, no, this is different. That's why we need a whole new department for this. And then they realize, no, it's not that different. Well, I'm starting to notice that there are production companies that are, um, you know, producing for mobile. Yep. It's, it's interesting. You're right. Because why does that have to be its own, its own distinct business? Yeah. We're making a podcast here at this ad agency. It's weird. That's so cool. Um, so well, except today, today's, you know, less cool than Greg and no, Riley. it's not. You, you are, <laughs> you are the first female, uh, to be on the show, which I've been getting a lot of flack from a lot of my female <laughs> friends and they've been, uh, and I've, I've been trying, I've been getting, you know, I've been calling, I've been getting, uh, lots of calls for people and, and just, you, you guys are way more busy than the men, I think is what it is. <laughs> that might be true. Has something to do with the little people that come out of our uh, bodies. But it's interesting that yeah, it is true. You guys have that special <laughs> superpower that we don't understand. Um, it, it's it's interesting that you started in a place that was so, you know, I know Terry and Sandy and they are so, you know, 
female empowerment and not in a sort of militant way or a sort of like to the, you know, because they're very nice to me as well. And I'm not a female, it turns out. But um, they're they're just so great at that um, sort of they, they make no bones about it. They're just like, yeah, of course, let's do it. And that they, they they feel like they've been doing that longer than most people. Like they they had that before it was cool to be like, hey, we need more women in, in the business. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I know that, uh, you know, here at Damasimo Goldstein, we 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 like to uh, hire women. We have probably over 50 percent, which I know every guy says. Uh, in our creative department, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, why is it still hard to find? Why is it still, why is it still such a man's world here in this business? I don't know if you have the answer to that or if you even want to be the spokesperson of that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there are probably a lot of reasons. Um, I, I, like I said, I grew up working for women, but also a lot of men and I never felt like it matters. Right. And there were a couple of times where I would be asked to, you know, we want, we need a mom or it would be like a, you know, a brand that, you know, Swiffer or something for house cleaning and they <laughs> want a woman. And I just, I personally don't think hiring a woman because you care about advancing women in the, in the industry, but then putting them on the Swiffer brand, is, <laughs> I don't know if that counts. <laughs> I want to sell Scott. Yes. What are your favorite, what are your favorite brands that you worked on? Well, um, I, I would Over say Oreo was the best for my career. Yeah. Jaguar was phenomenal. And I'm not a car person. I'm not even a particularly good driver, but I, that was just, um, so big. It just felt, we got to travel around and shoot in interesting places. And it was an interesting client. Structure was the first time I think that I worked on a piece of business that was global. So seeing the interaction between all the different markets and how that all works, I think was very eye-opening for me. Yeah. Um, I also I worked on Burt Bees for a hot minute when I was at Brand Buzz. I saw that. Yeah. And I loved that experience. The clients were so deferential to me that I felt so. Um, it was just such a nice rapport, and I I remember they had a really really small budget. Um, allocated for a radio, I guess a radio campaign, but it's the voiceover in particular. Then I had this, like, epiphany in the night that it had to be Arlo Guthrie. It just had to be Arlo Guthrie. And so, you know, we looked into Arlo, and we looked in, we, we sent him a gift basket, and it, it was, like, you know, going to be $100,000 over budget, which for the tiny brand at the time was was a big deal. Yeah. But the, the, my account person wrote this whole passionate letter to him that I didn't know she was going to write to him. I don't even know if I would have talked to him about it because it was going to be way, way, way over his budget. He would have thought I lost my mind. But the account person wrote him this like email about how strongly Jill feels. And his response was, if she feels that strongly, we'll find a way. See if he's interested. And I was so moved by that. Wow. And I know. And these are the kinds of clients that just make you work so much harder because you you feel so valued by them. Well, I also think that speaks to your sort of integrity that you talked about before and your sort of, uh, and I can hear it in your voice and I can, I can feel it with your reputation that I hear from other people that you are just a giving person and you wouldn't have been bothered by him saying now it's too much money, but knowing that you are that into it. And I think your account person was a good account person and knew that that was the trigger that would have uh, given you the answer. But um, that speaks to your reputation, which is great. 
Thank you. How do you how do you keep that up? How do you um, your your mother on your on your webpage? Your mother has a testimonial about you that says that you have a really good work ethic and please make sure she gets out and and plays every once in a while. Um, is it your work ethic? Is it something that's inborn? Is it something that you can learn? Is it something you try to teach people? Well, um, I, I just, I think my parents were very influential. In fact, this is so dumb, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Sure. My parents' anniversary was in March, uh-huh. and I, I, you go to, the, I, I don't send a lot of cards anymore because nobody does. But right. when you are dealing with people who are a little bit more old-fashioned, my mother wants a card. She doesn't want an email when it's her anniversary, so. Mm-hmm. You go to the card store, and they're terrible. Like, you just can't find a decent anniversary card. And I'm not, I don't have enough free time or enough talent to make one. Sometimes I put my kids to to good use, but yeah. I couldn't find a card. So I went to buy them five scratch-off lottery tickets, and I scribbled a note and said, the card stunk. Here, I hope you win a million dollars. Happy anniversary, whatever I wrote on the note. And so I see my mother... And she has five dollars and fifty cents to give to me, and I said, "What is this?" And she goes, "It's half of my winnings from the car." I said, "Well, I don't want your winnings. It was your. It was instead of me buying an anniversary card." And she said, "This is my policy, because what if?" She goes, "What if I won two million dollars? What do you feel terrible?" And she goes, "Well, you probably wouldn't feel terrible because you know that you'll get some of it down the road anyway. But what if a friend?" <laughs> Give me a lottery ticket and I won $2 million. I would feel like the right thing to do is to share 50%. So she's ramming $5.50 down my, you know, neck. Yeah. But they've always been very, um, very fair and very honest. And I guess that's just how I was raised. And then I I don't have a high tolerance for people who are not that, that way, who are either full of shit or... Right. You know, have a big ego or anything. I just don't have a, I don't have a, a you know, I don't, well, I'm, good. Not that nice, I'm not that nice of a person. Good, because there's none of those in the in the business. There's no right, nobody exactly. like that in the ad business. Um, I do find that most of those people burn out or they fade away or they start their own agency and nobody wants to work there and or, or <laughs> something. That's hilarious. That's probably true. Isn't that the truth, though? They all end <laughs> up lonely and sad somewhere. I don't know. Maybe. That's what I'm hoping. Yes, they get a million dollars and they said never be in advertising. You have 10 years, yet you can't be in advertising. Yeah. Um, so one of your partners was Megan Sheehan, and she said that you have the mind of a tiger and the heart of a golden retriever. What does that mean? <laughs> that she um, pops a lot of pills? No, uh, <laughs> um, I guess she, I don't know, I guess the mind of a tiger means that I'm on point sometimes with ideas, and then the heart of a golden retriever, I I mean, Megan and I are very, very close, and I I am a very loyal person, as is she, and um, I mean, that relationship is, the two of us could not be more different, and we're the closest friends, having been kind of arbitrarily thrown together. So let's talk about that, because that's that's my real question, I'm, yeah. Sorry about that stupid question. Um, what what does it mean to be a good creative partner, and how do, how do you learn to do that? And who were your best partners? I guess Megan would be at the top of the list. Um, yeah, Megan and I had a great run. She's uh, you know. And then uh, I want to talk about the Oreo thing because I know people want to hear about that. Yeah, Megan has like a very tough exterior from just how she was raised and who she is. Yeah. 
And then inside that little, that shell is, uh, you know, a cupcake baker who will bring you in a dozen of your daughter's favorite cupcakes when she's under the weather. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, she's got the same golden retriever heart for sure. Yeah, she does. She's so sweet. I, I got thrown together with her literally uh, at Anomaly to work on a Budweiser, like, Jay-Z thing, which never came to anything. But um, I remember thinking, like, whoa, this, she's, like, hardcore freelancer. I'm not cool enough to work with her. And it turned out so great. Um, but what, what, yeah. is it, what is it about that partnership thing? And what, what advice can you give to kids on, on how, to, how to sort of make sure that you're a good partner? Well, I think the partnership is that partnership is everything. If you don't have good chemistry, if you don't feel good, you can hate your agency, you can get mad at your clients, you can think your, you know, ECD or CCO is, is, is awful, but if, if you have a great partner, you can turn that into an amazing experience because, it's you know, it's Bonnie and Clyde. It's just you guys against the world and, uh, you know, to just have a, a place to go where you can vent and feel um, that, that's friendship and trust and support and a place who's gonna, you know, keep all your secrets. That's that's where that's where creative that's where creativity starts from that place of um of familiarity and, and comfort. It's very hard to have ideas if you're not comfortable sharing them. It's very hard to turn those into actionable um, campaigns, if you will. Right. You you have, you have to feel like I can say anything and that person's not gonna like snub me or you know, it's, a, it's almost like that improv um, action of building upon and right. yes, yes and, yes and. And if you don't feel like you can, sometimes the air can just be dead for so long. And right. Just somebody saying something stupid is what helps. And you just have to be in an environment where that's okay. Yeah. And yeah. Then as you get, and then as you ahead. get older, I think that um, a lot of my, you know, I, I my, my partner, even before Megan, was um, Philly Youngman, who's now in Chicago at Energy BBDO. But I, I feel like there's a um, schedule, logistical um, appreciation or flexibility that has to come into play as you become a parent. Right. And, um, you know, I asked my daughter before Phil had his um, son, and, you know, he just, I, we just worked around each other. We yeah. knew each other's quirks. You know, it just didn't matter. It was like, okay, you're going to leave at whatever time. I might stay longer. It just didn't matter. You just find a rhythm, and it doesn't have to be the exact same. You just have to, and I just think you have to be really, have open communication and find a system that works for your partnership. But I do think that that relationship is so important to how successful you'll be. Yeah. Finding a good partner, I think, is is key to everything. And I think a lot of people, when they first get into the business, are like, I'm going to be the one, I'm going to be the star. And, you know, the partnership thing is almost like, oh, now I have to, you know, work with this person who may not be as good or you can't have that that feeling. I feel like you have to you have to lift that person up. You have to try to give them the credit and give them as much energy and air as possible to, to have the right stuff. Um, yeah. and, uh, yeah, I've had many partners over the years and, and that, that is, it's so important. Um, you need them. What, what about the, the transition from, from being a creative to being a creative director? It's a lot of people say it's like the completely opposite job. Um, how did you, how did you make that transition and what did you learn along the way? Did you always know you were going to be like a leader 
I think it's natural progression for a lot of people. I mean, there are there are like some older creatives that just don't aspire to manage, and they're talented, and that's great. But I think at a certain point, um, it's sad, but the the agencies are only going to pay so much of a band for, let's say, an art director or a copywriter, and if you're not moving up the food chain, then unfortunately when cuts have to happen, a lot of times that's what happens. Yeah. So um, how, how did you make the transition? What what was your... I think I was just given a project to run points on, but probably um, I don't... I think it happened kind of organically. It was, a, you know, here's a project, um, you know, you're going to run this one. But I, I think where the where the trouble lies is when a creative director or creative director team is in direct competition with the teams reporting into them. Yeah. That's where things get ugly, and that, that happens all the time, too. The creative directors or even GCDs or ECDs feel like this is a pit or this is a big meeting, and I, I'm not going to just, like, wait and not think about it. So mm. they're working on it, too. Not out of Sometimes it's probably out of I want to make this, but sometimes it's just by necessity of there's an empty holder and we need to fill it by Thursday, so I better start thinking about it. Cause yeah. You just never know. You just never know if or who's going to crack it. But um, what do you do in those situations when you're when you're a creative director and you know? Because I've been there too, where it's like, oh my god, nobody's cracking it. What am I going to do? <laughs> well, or, yeah, yeah, I would probably find the team that I entrust most, and I would feed them my nuggets. Um, yeah, and and sit with them if necessary to yeah. to help build it into something that we're all excited about, but. I think um, rather than me, you know, squirreling away with a partner to have a campaign that's going to compete, I would probably make it all of ours. Yeah. That's what I would do too, Jill. We're the same person. (laughs) It's because you're from Jersey. It's because we're from Jersey. It's true. People (laughs) from Jersey are awesome. So let's talk about Oreo because that was a huge um, game changer, I think, for social um, and real-time advertising. For everybody who doesn't know, uh, just recap what the idea was and then, because uh, it was a crazy idea, and then how you pulled it off. So it was called the Oreo Daily Twist, and it was, um, uh, it was Oreo's 100th birthday, so it was to create 100 pieces of content in 100 days. And um, they were going to respond to cultural moments and, um, holidays and things like that, and just real-time current events even. So we had to um, put together a team of people that were going to be available every morning. So we had obviously we had the creative team, and they would come, they would read the headlines, and they would look at, you know, what was going on that day, and they would come up with, let's say, four ideas, and Megan and I would look at the four ideas and decide which one, which one is going to go to the client, and then a backup. Mm-hmm. And then um, there was the tiniest little core team on the on the brand side from somebody. Well, somebody was added from corporate communications because the first one we ran was that pride execution, and I don't think they expected all the attention from around the globe that yes. they got. So, so then, so it was like a you know someone from the legal department, someone from corporate communications, somebody yeah. from obviously the brand team, and it was just like a tiny team, and we would have like a thirty minute meeting every morning to review the concepts, and, you know, everybody knew we were against a very tough timeline and that you had to publish, you had to execute and publish, so 
we didn't get a lot of no's. The clients were very open. They were on board with this crazy process that we all came up with together. And, um, you know, every day at 11, they would pick either the one we wanted them to run or the backup. And then we would uh, have a team of designers, we photographers and designers, you know, do what they needed to do. We did create an asset library up front of, like, the cookie from every angle and drops of milk and an empty glass and a full glass and everything we thought we might need, but we definitely didn't account for everything. And so we had a photographer on the team to pick up what we were missing. And what what were some of the craziest things that they were like, no, we can't do that, or, like, that you just wanted them to run but they didn't pick? Um, well, it was a few years ago now, so I'm probably going to forget some of them. But I remember the one that we really wanted them to run with. I, there was one with the Chilean miners. Remember when they oh, got yeah. out of the mine? Yes. And it was it was really, really cute, but it, it felt a little sensitive because even though they all were fine, it still was a um, you know, heartbreaking situation. Yeah. Yes. But uh, they probably had some Oreos when they got out, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Um, and that won a lot of Grand Prix and Cyber Grand Prix and... Um, you got a lot, you, you were like 50 most creative people in Fast Company magazine. That was so cool. That was so cool. Well, <laughs> what was that like? How did, how do you not get a big head, Jill? Um, I don't know. I, I, well, I, I also should add that we were losing the account as all of that was happening. <laughs> 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 so that'll keep you humble. Yeah. Creativity can't, can't solve everything. Why do you so think why do you think they were losing the account? Was it just like a uh, a big agency thing? Well, when I took the I followed Darren Moran, who was my ECD at when I was at YNR, mm-hmm. Brand Buzz, kind of half Brand Buzz, half YNR. Yeah. I followed him over to Draft FCB. Mm-hmm. He was the CC, he became the CCO. And um, he told me when I started he said, listen, I'm hiring you to run the Oreo business, but I want to tell you, um, you know, this is the last piece of marquee piece of craft business that we have. It's been slipping away. Right. A lot of like politics under the surface there. Yes. And I just, I don't want you to come here thinking that if it goes, you know, you're in any kind of hot water. This is the first thing I'm giving you to do. Let's see how it goes. I will try to mend fences with the team in Chicago, which is where the corporate headquarters was. Yep. You work with the brand team in New Jersey, and let's try to see what we can do. Yeah. Well, so, but he, you know, he said, I know that you, you're a worrier, and I don't want you to think that, you know, it could be, in, it, could, it could never happen. It could happen in three months, but I don't right. want you to feel like you've been hoodwinked. And so, um, you know, I, I got to know my brand team, and they were, they were such a great group. And they were actually, they had an appetite. You know, that brief was, we want to win at camp. Oh. What do we do? Right. Because that, that's uh, the corporate craft really loved can at that time. I was working on, yeah. um, I was working on Trident, Stride, and Halls over at JWT uh, when they got bought by, when Cadbury got bought by Kraft. Uh, and it did. It changed very slowly into this, you know. Uh, award-winning thing. And they were great clients at, at Cadbury as well um, and wanted good work, but yeah. Uh. Yeah, and so, the, um, you know, we were at CAM. Yeah. You know, this was the year that the thing won everything, and then there were all these, like, whispers. And it was just, you just knew it was going. Yeah. Um, it was just, you just know, you just, there's so much volatility in this business that you just start to sniff it out after a while. And, uh, 
you know, we tried to repitch it. We just, it wasn't even that it all went all at once. It was like, well, there's a Super Bowl opportunity, so we're going to give that to Wyden because they're the Super Bowl, yeah. you know, experts. And yeah. we're like, well, that's weird. <laughs> that feels like the beginning of the end. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just, it's like yeah. when your when your boyfriend or girlfriend says, "I'm gonna just go to the movies with this other person." Uh, if that's cool, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're just like, oh, yeah, so all right. It was, the, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. But like I said, I had Megan and Anthony Nelson, and just like such a great group around me that uh, yeah, we we really had fun while it lasted. Yeah, you did, and you did great work, and and you did get them to Cannes. They got a Cyber Grand Prix at Cannes, yeah. uh, which is pretty good. Uh, but didn't didn't save the business. So, you know, nope. but you got something out of it. So what did you do after that? Did you go freelance at all in this whole no, stretch? No, of your, I went, you've I never went gone freelance. I have never gone freelance, but, uh, uh, you know, I have obviously Megan, Megan yeah. did, and yeah. he's been freelance for a while. Yeah. I I don't know if it's my, I, I think, I can't tell if I would do well. That part of me feels like it goes against my nesting DNA. I, I work for people, with people for a long time. Yeah. I just don't know if I would, you know, just take a legal pad and sit in a corner at a strange place and be able to do what we do as comfortably as as I feel when I know where to hang my coat and I know how to print. And yeah. I, you know what I mean? All yeah. the comforts of just feeling it's like definitely- my spot. It's definitely a, a one of those things where you got to get used to it and you got to figure out a new way of hustling and a new way of, of living your life. Um, uh, and uh, it's probably not for everybody, but I feel like if you've been in the business as long as you have and I have, uh, it's sort of easy because you know everybody and you could always call somebody and be like, hey, can I come over and print some stuff or whatever? Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, I don't I don't recommend it for for the kids for the uh, for the young people because you know if you don't have any sort of connections out there then it's really hard I think probably. But I, also I think feel you'd like be fine. I think that the agencies really only call on freelancers when they need a heavy hitter. They need a solution. They're kind of trapped. You know, they're kind of almost I don't want to say desperate, but there's like a there's a hard deadline and there's a yeah. hole from a resource perspective. And to take a chance with like a junior or mid-level yeah. team of unknown people, it's just never—it's not worth the cost saving. No, you gotta—you gotta use your your uh, reputation that you've built over the years, and just you know, know how to how to do the social media too, and get it out yeah. there, and 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 know all the recruiters. Like back when you you know you said you had a foot in the door and you had a recruiter. Well, nowadays you can go on LinkedIn and just find like type in recruiter ad agency and find them all. Um, which I did when I was freelance and sort of made like a little, you know, that was my, if I didn't have a job that day, I had to do four hours of, you know, writing emails and researching. Um, yeah. that's sort of what I told myself. Uh, and then I could go play outside, which I also <laughs> had to do. Um, and then you, you, so you, you went to JWT barbarian group and now you're at Facebook. You're sort of, yep. Do you think of yourself as being outside of the ad industry, or you feel like it's sort of the same job, but just in a different perspective? Um, I think uh, it's it's got uh, similarities and differences. Um, right. But you know, we work with ad agencies all the time, and 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 our we're, our purpose here is to help inspire and provoke. So I, I, I feel right. like it's not um, worlds apart. 
Right. I've been trying to get somebody in here to uh, maybe you can come into Demasima Goldstein and give us a little or, or tell somebody to come over. Hey, Mark right. Zuckerberg, are you listening? Come over here. Get over <laughs> here and give me something. Um, but uh, yeah, so you're you're uh, you're there for since, since what? A couple July. years ago. Ju- oh, since this July. Okay, that's awesome. You just changed. Yeah. Good that's for awesome. you. Thank You've you. always been in New York too. That's the other thing I've noticed about you is that you 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 never left, and uh, I'm the same way. Um, yeah, when, I mean, I just all my husband's from New Jersey. Our family's yeah. here. Um, it just never made sense to go. There was never an opportunity that felt so, I don't know, it just, it never felt right for our family, at least not yet. Right. Um, what do you, what kind of advice can you give to kids uh, out there that are listening? <laughs> Everyone hates when I call them kids. Um, but the young people that are listening, um, what, what advice can you give them for working on their book and, and trying, to get, trying to get a job in the business? I I would say, you know, a lot of people seem almost like they've chosen what agency they want to work at as like an entry-level role, like they've got their short list because they've done all their creativity, you know, research and, and can and whatnot. And, and I just, I it's so hard to get your foot in the door. I just don't think it's the time to be ego about it or, or precious about it. Yeah. I mean, I just sort of feel like the hardest, thing to do is break in and from there if you're smart and hungry you will find opportunities even at agencies that aren't that great I mean you know draft FCB wasn't winning tons of can lions in New York out of New York right you just I just always sort of felt like just get in and say you know if you are willing to take on even the worst hardest projects and get them from like D level creative to B minus level creative the agency will notice. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I would, I give that same advice to people because, uh, like, like you, I started at a place where I may not have wanted to play, wanted to be, but I think I learned in those two years at Ogilvy Direct that writing is hard, <laughs> and I had never written uh, five pages of, of copy before, I don't think. So uh, writing an American Express letter was um, one of the hardest things I'd ever done, and I realized that I was kind of good at it, uh, and, and and it taught me to write. Um, so, and also I, I just learned, I got to just be bad there, you know, I got to be sort of bad at my job there a little bit and just kind of learn and just kind of do the worst stuff and learn from that and do better and do better. And I wasn't under the, you know, under the microscope right away. And I, th- I think that's a, it's a good thing to not be that because, you know, you've got a, your career is decades. So uh, don't, don't rush it. Yeah. That's good advice. Yeah. I think, you know, I also feel like, um, just be one of those people who helps the, like, just take stuff off of your manager. Make their lives easier. You know, it's like 10% of the people tend to do 90% of the work. So be in that 10%. Just, you know, even if it's the worst project out there, it will, you know, I think people worry, well, and now I touched that, so I'm, I, I have, like, the stink on me a little bit if it's, like, a piece of business or a project that's not very glamorous. But right. I don't I, – I never really saw that to be the case. I, I think that you can 
you can shine a lot easier sometimes when it's not the glamorous thing because it, it's easy to do something that looks 20 million times better than where it was. Right, yeah. And no one expects it to be good, and then, you know, you make it a little bit better, and they're yeah. like, oh, okay, thanks. And then um, suddenly it's the thing that people want to work on. I've seen the worst, you know, the worst assignments go to the best assignments in uh, in places when, when somebody just cracks it the right way. Suddenly the client who was saying no to everything is so happy, and uh, all they really wanted was some good work, and... They hadn't been getting it, and suddenly that account is now what everybody wants to work on. Um, yep. I've seen it happen seen everywhere. Um, well, th- anything else you want to talk about, Jill? No, I think uh, that's my boring story. No, it's not boring at all. I think it's an awesome story. Um, where can people uh, follow you or talk to you or send you love notes? Uh, well, Facebook, but I'm paid to say that. No, but Facebook Messenger. Facebook Messenger? Okay. How do how do they reach you there? Jill Applebaum. You'll find me. Jill Applebaum. She's in New York. Uh, she works at Facebook, um, which is a pretty cool place uh, to work. And, uh, yeah, so you'll be getting a lot, of, uh, a lot of calls from kids asking, like, hey, can I work there? So get ready okay. for that. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> I haven't gotten one call from a kid saying, can I work for you yet, so. This this might not be taking off right away, but <laughs> years from now, we'll all be able to listen to this and say, remember that time we talked Yeah, on the phone? Thank you for spending the time with us. Thank you, Tom. We Thank should be you. in person one day. Yeah, let's have a scotch in a That'd Jaguar. Awesome. And we can Swiffer while we drink it. And we'll Swiffer the Jaguar while we drink the scotch. <laughs> we'll be outside the Jaguar, so we're not drinking and driving, just so everybody Perfect. knows. All right. Have a great day. Bye, Tom. You too. Bye. Bye. So that was my chat with Jill Applebaum. We're both from Jersey. We both um, have kids. We're, uh, she's a woman, I'm not. These are the things we figured out during this interview. She did uh, that great Oreo campaign that everyone should go check out. Maybe I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And I love her advice about just taking a job, not being so picky and... and not being so like, oh, I must work at Droga 5 or wherever. Um, although that's a good place to work if you can get there. Yeah, so uh, thank you for listening. This has been The A-List brought to you by Ad House Advertising School. I'm Tom Chrisman. Please rate us and subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, if you want to be interviewed for an upcoming episode, contact us through adhousenyc.com and leave some comments and stuff on the iTunes. That always helps with the uh, algorithms. That's what Jill told me after the call. She told me all about the algorithms. Um, So I'm going to go do some stuff with algorithms. No, I'm not. All right. The A-List is recorded at Gramercy Post in New York City. Thanks for listening, everybody.